Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this weekend, we're finishing up the series that we started at the beginning of this year called Holier Than Thou. And uh, a lot of what we are talking through um, is derived from a book called Holier Than Now by Jackie Hill Perry. It's, just, it's a great book. I would encourage you to read it. Uh, I've read it a few times now, actually. Um, and it's very helpful understanding the idea of holiness and what it means and what it looks like. Um, and really, when we, when we talk through this idea of holiness, it's challenging uh, because we understand that God might be holy, but then there's this, there's this proclamation in Scripture that we're supposed to be holy. God says in Leviticus, and it's echoed throughout Scripture, that we should be holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Be holy as I am holy is what God says. And that's a real challenge for us. And that's really what we're going to get at today. Um, how do we emulate the holiness of God? What does that look like for us? Uh, because it's, it's challenging. It's hard, Right? Because our God is not just holy, according to the book of Isaiah. Our God is holy, holy, holy. There is none like him. So let me start there today. Isaiah chapter 6, it says this. The prophet Isaiah has this vision. He says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, angels, who have six wings. With two wings they cover their faces, with two they cover their feet, with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation. Their entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man with filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And I love this proclamation that God is holy, holy, holy. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Todd talked about the significance of that repetition, that emphasis. But what we see here is this idea that everything that God is, is derived from his holiness. It begins with him being holy first and foremost. And then when we hear God say, be holy as I am holy, and we sing songs and we go, God, make me like you. God, help me be like you. I just want to be more like you, Lord. And the reality is we are a walking contradiction because we say things like, I want to be like God. I want to be more like Jesus. But we don't really want to be more like God, right? We say, okay, God, make me like you, but not all of me because there's some parts of me I want to, I want to keep myself, right? Um, it's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like if, if, you work in a company and you go, man, I wish I had the boss's parking spot. Man, I wish I had the office of the boss. I wish I had the, the income, but we don't want the boss's problems. We don't want the hate mail, the emails they get, the problems they have to fix. We just want the benefits. And that's kind of the way it is when it comes to holiness. See, we want the rights of being like God without the responsibility of being righteous like God. We go, God, I want authority and I, w- I want to be a son or daughter. Like, I want that, but I don't want to have to be holy. I don't want to have to be righteous. That's hard. So, what do we do? Well, the answer is simple, but it's challenging. And the answer is sanctification. And all of you are like, yippee, sanctification, right? 
Sanctification is just a theological word, but it, basically what it means when we boil it down, we distill it down to this, is, is uh, sanctification is the process by which we become like Christ. That's it. it. It's the process by which we become holy. Um, sanctification is a, is a big fancy word, but that's why um, at the end of every one of our services, when we give you an opportunity to respond, we say, hey, um, give us your information now. And it's not because we wanna spam you on a mailing list. It's because we want to get you connected to opportunities to be sanctified, to begin to grow in your faith, to be transformed into the image of Christ. That's why we do that. And that's why it's important. Um, that's why when we talk about baptisms, when we talk about growth track, all these things are opportunities for sanctification. It, it grows us in our faith. Now, there's another term um, it's called justification. And justification, according to scripture, uh, in the scriptural context, it's a legal term, and it basically means being found not guilty of whatever we're accused of, which is a good thing. I don't know if you've ever been accused of something, but not guilty is good, okay, for the record. Um, so I want you to understand it like this. We talked about this a little last weekend. Um, according to scripture, we're all guilty of sin. We are all We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we've sinned, uh, God took the sin that rested on us and he placed it somewhere else. God put it away. We talked about this last weekend. He put our sin away. Where did he put our sin? On Christ. But not only that, he took the righteousness of Christ and he places it on us. So, so now in this moment, our, our God, our heavenly father, who is uh, a just judge. He's a holy judge. He looks at us and now he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of God, that is, uh, the righteousness of Christ, which rests on us. And what happens is the wrath that he has that was intended for us as sinners, it, it terminates on Christ. Okay. So it's this beautiful trade. It's this uneven exchange. And, um, and we believe that Sanctification is an ongoing process. It is not a once and for all thing. We believe justification is a once and for all thing. Christ gave his life for all sinners for all eternity. I don't have to be saved over and over and over and over again. I was justified by the work that Christ did on the cross. But sanctification is an ongoing process. So let me explain it to you this way. Um, I... I we were living with one car for a while and I made the decision to buy a car and I didn't make the wise decision to buy one with a warranty or something that was built in the last decade. Um, I decided I wanted a 2001 Jeep Cherokee XJ. Now, 2001 doesn't sound that old, but it is. <laughs> If you're old like I am, I'm like, 2001, that's not that old. And it's like, oh man, that's like 21 years ago now. There are people that are part of our church that weren't alive when the car was manufactured, right? 
I love this vehicle though. And, and my wife is not a big fan. Um, and this is the thing about this vehicle. I look at it and I look at what it can be, not at what it is today. Like, okay, I'm gonna do a little bit of work to it. I'm gonna get some things cleared up on it. And it is going to be a great finished product. It's fine now, but it's gonna be great someday. Does that make sense? This is what sanctification is. Are we saved? Are we going to heaven? Yeah, we're justified. But are we where we need to be? No, God looks at us and he goes, man, I've got something in store for them. I believe there's a purpose and a plan for them. I believe they're gonna be so much more than what they are today. He sees something in you that Kim does not see in my Jeep. So be like God, don't be like Kim. (laughs) Don't hurt me. That's what sanctification is. It's a process for us. So what does that look like? Well, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, remember what we said at the beginning of this series. When we pursue holiness, we're not pursuing perfection. We think that, but we're not. When we're pursuing holiness, we're really pursuing God. So when we're pursuing God in relationship, we're pursuing holiness because God is holy and God wants us to be like him. And what does he say? He says, hey, if, if we are not holy, we will not see the Lord. This feels like a high standard, but, but think about it this way. If we're not pursuing God, we will not see the Lord, right? It's not about the rules and the do's and don'ts. It's about pursuit here. He says, work at living in peace with everyone. Isn't this way harder than what it sounds. Um, I struggle with this. I was uh, at someone's house this last week after Snowmageddon, and I was helping them dig out of their uh, like snow on the sidewalk and driveway, and I was digging this snow out, and uh, instead of shoveling it and then walking across the driveway and putting it in this person's grass, I was just shoveling it and putting it in the neighbor's grass. And some of you might be offended by that. And the ones that are offended probably don't shovel snow. (laughs) And so I'm just shoveling the snow and I'm putting it in the grass. It's not going in the sidewalk. And all of a sudden I hear a voice that says, you can't put that there. And this woman had opened her window. From the warmth of her home, she's criticizing the way I shovel the driveway. And I said, excuse me? And she said, who's going to take care of that? And your pastor did not do this very well in that moment. I did better than I could have, but not as good as I should have. And and when she said, who's going to take care of that? I said, mother nature. (laughs) And I wanted to say, are you going to shovel your grass? Are you are you clearing your grass? Is that what you're doing? And I didn't know about that. And she said, you can't put that there. And I said, where should I put it? And I was expecting some snarky response because I'm not fully sanctified. And, <laughs> and she said, put it in, in her yard or put it in the street. I thought, put it in the street? It's gonna be back in our driveway here. Like, I can't do that. And so uh, she just kept on. And so finally... Finally, I just said, ma'am, close your window as I continue to shovel. And she continued to, and finally I said, ma'am, stop talking as I continue to shovel the snow in her yard. 
And I just kept on. Finally, the window closed, and I finished. And, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I imagine that snow will melt in her yard at some point. Like, it'll be fine. It won't be sitting there for decades upon decades, right? But I didn't respond very well. I didn't work at living in peace in that moment. I could have said, ma'am, tell me, give me your opinion about how should I, what do you think? I could have, but I didn't. But this is an example. Working at living at peace, it is work, right? Living at peace is hard to do, so we work at it. The same thing is true about living a holy life. Living a holy life isn't easy. It's challenging. It's difficult. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, work at living a holy life. It doesn't just come easily or simply. We have to work at it. We have to put effort and energy into it because it's not easy to do. So we have to work at sanctification. We have to work at living a holy life and becoming holy as God is holy. We have to try. We have to put energy into it. And if we don't, we'll never be holy. We'll never grow in our faith. We'll never be sanctified the way God wants us to be sanctified. In 1 Peter chapter one, it says this. It says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. And this is quoting Leviticus that I mentioned earlier. What does it say here? You must be holy in everything you do. You must be holy in everything you do. What? Are you kidding me? I know how this works. I know how most people come to church. It is a mad dash. We can get our kids to school at 7.30 during the week or at nine o'clock or whenever school starts for you. We can do that during the week, but somehow getting them to church at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning feels impossible. And so it's like, where are your shoes? Why are your pants on your head? Come on, right? Mel's waiting in the lobby and he's gonna see that we're late. Can we please go? And it feels like everything's falling apart and on the way to church, you're in the car and you're like, why are you? And I can't believe you. And you pull into the parking lot and you slam the door and you walk up and you're like, hey, Pastor Mel. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed, right? It's work. See, it's easy to be holy at church and we're all pious and oh, hello there. Oh, Bless God. How are you, brother? And we go to the office on Monday. We go to class on Monday. And all hell breaks loose in us. Why? Because being holy is hard work. And it's easy to be holy some of the time. But the instruction we get from Peter is to be holy in everything we do. How do we do that? Well, I think one of the ways is to be obedient to be obedient children unto the Lord. What does it mean to be obedient? Obedient to what? It feels like we're just saying, hey, follow the rules. Do what you're told to do. The Ten Commandments, you go to church, be obedient, and then you'll be holy. And I want you to understand this. Um, following the rules are important to some degree, but that can't be what our Christian faith is about. If that is the sum total of what we do, our, our faith will be empty. So what does this really mean? Follow the rules, attend church? Yes. 
But that's not all. It really means pursuing God. Be obedient to pursue the Lord, pursue his heart, chase after him and say, God, you are my highest goal. You are my highest affection. You're what I want above everything else. Like I said earlier, we believe that the pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of perfection, but that's not the case at all. The pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of God. So what do we do? We, we go after God. We say, I'm gonna be obedient to chase after you, to follow your path, to do what you're asking me to do. I will be obedient. Let me finish this passage in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1.17, it goes on to say, and remember that the heavenly, your heavenly father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. Aren't you glad that God has no favorites? He doesn't care what kind of house you live in or how much money you make or how how many followers you have. Any, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He is a, a just judge. He goes on to say, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. See, God doesn't ba- judge us based on our intentions. Oh, this is where we get into trouble because we judge ourselves based on our intentions. We see somebody on the side of the road, they've got a flat tire and we go, I, I probably should help them but I don't have time, but I would help them. And so we give ourselves the gold star as if we actually pulled over and helped them. We're like, see, I wanted to, it's the thought that counts. I I had an intent to help them, I just didn't have time. And God does not look at us that way. God, (laughs) there are no moral victories. God says, I judge you based on what you do or don't do. This is one of the reasons we talked about last week. This is one of the reasons we think we are holier than we actually are because we're judging ourselves based on our intentions. This is why there's challenges in marriages sometimes because we judge ourselves based on our intention and we judge our spouse based on their actions. But God judges us on our actions. What do you do? What do you produce? That's what God wants to see. That's what God wants to know. So God is a righteous judge. And he judges us or rewards us according to what we do. He goes on to say, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So this life of death that we talked about before, God paid us a ransom for us. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. I love this so much. So, so what do we do to live holy lives? Well, I, I think we're obedient, and we'll come back to that idea in a moment. I think we understand that God judges us not based on our intentions, but what, but what we actually do. And I think one of the things we do is that we understand that we're temporary residents here. We're not permanent residents. If, uh, if you had a business trip, I was talking to somebody before the service today and they said their, their, their boyfriend was out of town. He's, he's in Arkansas for business. I didn't know there was any business in Arkansas, so that's interesting. I'm just kidding. But if, if the boyfriend came back and he was like, hey, good news, I bought a house and I made friends and, and I learned the language because they do speak English technically in Arkansas, but it's a little different. What if he came back with an accent from Arkansas, right? <laughs> She'd be like, what, what are you doing? Like, you don't belong there. You, why'd you buy a house? Why are you talking like this? Have you forgotten where you're from? Have you forgotten where you belong? 
And in the same way that that would be awkward, this is what happens in our faith. What happens in our faith is we have forgotten that we are temporary residents on planet Earth. And what's happened is we have become accustomed to the language. We've become accustomed to the cultures. We have integrated into our lives. And this is one of the reasons so many people struggle with the idea of heaven is because we love this world so much. We go, well, I mean, yeah, I wanna go to heaven someday, but when I was younger, I would pray things like, we would hear discussions. My pastor would preach about the rapture in times and it'd be like, that's great. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven, but God, can you hold off until like I'm 17? I'd like to drive. I just want to drive. Right. And then as after I drove, it was like, okay, God, wait till maybe college. I want to go to college and God, wait till I get married. And really what I'm telling God is God, I love you, but man, I really love this culture, I really love this world. God, I want what you want, but I want this a little more. And what's happened is we forget that this is not our home. This is not where we belong. So as a result, um, we get integrated into the culture. We've, we've settled down, we've made friends with this culture and we forget that this isn't where we belong. See, as believers, we must live with an eye on eternity. And this will give urgency to us to reach unbelievers as well. Let me go on. Second Corinthians chapter three. The apostle Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are challenged, I'm sorry, changed into his glorious image. So what is this saying? That the Spirit, who is the Lord, remember it's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one. So the Holy Spirit is what changes us in, in, into a more, more glorious image, is what it says. Uh, some tr translations say from glory to glory. So what is this talking about? Sanctification, us growing in our faith, us developing in our faith, us becoming more holy is what it's talking about. And it says here that the Holy Spirit does that work in us. So I want you to understand this idea. If the Holy Spirit is not involved in your growth or your sanctification, we're becoming legalistic, not holy. If all you're doing is following a list of rules, absent of the Holy Spirit, we've divorced the Holy Spirit from our growth process, all we're doing is changing our behavior, which is fine. It's good that you go to church more. But if the Holy Spirit's not involved in that, if you have not invited him into that, if we... If we are behaving better, devoid of the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, then really what's happening is we're just becoming legalistic. We're gonna be judgmental. Have you ever known somebody in church, they were very moral, but they were kind of angry and bitter? What may have happened is they excluded the Holy Spirit from their growth. They, they, they do what they're supposed to do, they show up, they, they do everything that, yeah, I checked the box, but there's no joy in their relationship. There's no life in their relationship. There's no vibrancy in their relationship. And so at this point, you might be asking questions. So which is it? You just said we work, we grind, we do what we have to do, right? To, to be holy. It's hard work to be holy. And then you say the Holy Spirit makes us holy. So which is it? Yes. It's both. 
See, we sometimes think the Holy Spirit makes us holy. So we will pray a prayer at the end of a service like this one, like we're gonna do in just a little bit. And we invite Jesus into our heart and it's like, okay, Jesus, you better fix this because I'm a mess. Get to work. And we have this image, like, do you remember in the movie, The Wizard of Oz, where uh, the cowardly lion goes to Oz and then they like pamper him. He's just like sit back and they're doing all the stuff for him. And they're like, he comes out and he's got a bow in his hair and he's, you know, not the most manly move, by the way, cowardly lion, but, right? And we think this is what happens. Like, okay, I'm a Christian. God, you better do your work. Come on. And the Holy Spirit is responsible but we're responsible as well. See, we get to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. He is responsible, but we have to put ourselves in position for him to work in our lives. He's not going to forcefully change our attitude. He's not gonna forcefully change our values. It takes us saying, okay, I'm gonna put the word of God into my life. I'm gonna inject the word of God into my life. The Holy Spirit's not gonna force our eyes open in the morning and make us look at the Bible and you're trying to look away. I can't look away. That's not how it works. So we have to put ourselves in position to let the Holy Spirit begin to work in our lives. It's a partnership. See, God wants us to be holy because he wants us to be like him. But we have to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter two says this, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Paul's talking to the Philippian church. And then he says, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. What is this saying? Paul tells the Philippian church, you're gonna have to work hard to display your salvation because it doesn't come naturally to us. So, so you have to put some effort and energy into it. And as you do, God will work in your life. God will open up opportunities. God will, will unveil things to you. God will begin to work in you like you can't imagine, but you have to do some work as well. You know, we talked a lot last week about the fact that outside of God, there is no life because God is life. So anything outside of God is death. And we see this in the book of Ephesians. We also see it in the book of Colossians as well. But Paul says this. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. So this is what Paul's saying. If we are on a path other than the path of righteousness, the path of God, the path of life, then we are by default subjecting ourselves to the world and subjecting ourselves to Satan. Verse three says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. The passionate desires is talking about, the word here in the Greek is hedone, and hedone just means selfish desires. I do what I wanna do. And our world is marked by this idea that, that there is no objection, objective truth, that this is my truth and you can't judge me because this is how I feel. And this is the world we live in. It was the world that Paul lived in as well. He goes on to say, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And we talked about this a moment ago where we talked about the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ that we deserved. So basically what he's saying is we were dead 
in our disobedience, in our sin. But then we come to life in Christ. So what does it look like to be dead? We think it's the big stuff. We think it's the big sins. We go, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't killed anybody. Well, that's a big one, right? But a dead person might be somebody who goes through life like God isn't real. A dead person might be someone who goes through life with the idea that God isn't good, that that God isn't right or wise or true or pure or holy or just. See, that ultimately leads to death. A dead person will do things like take the body that God gave us and instead of subjecting it to his authority, we subject it to our own authority. We, we live according to our passions, as Paul said. What do I want? What do I desire? And we don't care about the precepts of God. We don't care about his authority. We are our own boss and we will do what we wanna do. And we do this with all kinds of things, with sexual issues. Um, we do this with food. We go, well, we don't care. I'll do whatever I want. What do I need? What do I want right now? And this is why fasting is so important because what it does is it brings our body into subjugation. We have to subject our body to these rules and regulations so that we understand, hey, this is what should be happening in our soul. Our soul should be subjected in this way to Christ. And it's hard. Some of you finish that 21 days and you're like, I gotta get back on social media. I miss it, right? I gotta eat chocolate. I gotta, whatever it might be. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to bring our bodies into subjection and to submit them to the Lord. Dead people will treat other people with disdain, even though they carry the image of God. And we will say things to people and about people that God would never say. And yet we say, God, make us holy, make us like you. This probably isn't a popular statement, but hell is full of people just like us. People who have um, sponsored a compassion child at a conference. People who attend church. People who read their Bible sometimes. Hell is populated with people who were very moral but lacked intimacy with Christ. And the truth is we're so busy imitating life that we miss the one who brings true life to us and makes us holy. Does anybody remember there's an old movie called Weekend at Bernie's? Does anybody remember Weekend at Bernie's? The premise of this movie is these, these guys, um, Bernie dies, And these guys put some sunglasses on Bernie on this dead body and they drag this dead body around and this this dead body, they, they act like he's alive. And it gives them access to opportunities. It gives them access to different things because they've got Bernie with them. And they're just acting like this dead guy's alive the whole movie, right? In fact, I think there was a sequel. I don't know how we make a sequel to Weekend at Bernie's, right? Even deader. I don't know how that works. But this is what we do so many times. We are dead, but we prop ourselves up as living. And we go, no, 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 I promise I'm alive. I'll go to church. Okay. No, 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 I promise I'm alive because because I read my Bible one time. I I put some money in the offering box. Great. 
No, I promise I'm alive. But all we've done is propped up a dead body. Because ultimately, we're not on a path of holiness. We're not on a path of pursuit. We're not chasing after God. We're fulfilling our own fleshly desires. We're doing what we want to do. Um, last weekend, I told you a story uh, about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, this guy comes to Jesus and he says, good rabbi, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, and we talked about this, he said, um, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. And then he goes on and he says, you have to keep the commandments. And then he names some of the commandments. And the rich young ruler's like, deal, I got it. I'm good. I'm whole, I've done it. See, he's a lot like us. We go, yeah, I checked all the boxes. I'm good. And, and then Jesus goes, okay, that's, that's not all. And listen to what it says in Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I want you to frame this with that idea. Jesus loves him genuinely. And he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad for he had many possessions. And when we read this, sometimes we read this as an indictment against rich people. Oh, rich people, they love their stuff. Can I, can I be honest with you? I've known a lot of poor people who love their stuff too. This is not about rich or poor. This is about our affections. This man was sad because Jesus was not after his money. See, this is a verse that the, the naysayers would be like, oh, see, them preachers, they all want our money. And I don't know why I said it with a redneck accent, I'm sorry. Oh, these preachers, all they want is our money. Maybe you're British, I don't know. But that's the, that's the implication, right? Oh, Jesus wasn't after his money. And if, if Jesus was a good businessman, he would have understood this guy's wealthy. He could offer us, he could help the ministry. He could move us forward. So maybe I should be nice to this guy, butter him up so he can give me. That's not the heart of Christ. Jesus was not after his money. Jesus was after his heart. That's what he wanted. And he recognized your heart has been captured by something else already. So Jesus goes right after it. Hey, sell everything you've got because your possessions have captured your heart. You think life is found in your stuff, in your accumulation, in your money, but life is not found there. See, this man was sad because he thought life was in his possessions, but Jesus understood that only leads to death. And this man was sad because he thought he was giving up something good for what Jesus had for him. But Jesus was saying, there's true treasure for you. There's true life for you. If you will lay down this, this stuff that ultimately leads to death. Now, is the treasure inherently bad? No, but when our affection is for that, that's a problem. See, Jesus had life for him, had treasure for him. He had something incredible for him. This man is unnamed. He is the rich young ruler. I think Jesus was inviting him to be a disciple. He, he could have been a pillar of the Christian community. He could have been named in scripture. He could have written some of the word of God. Who knows? But he went away sad because he had many possessions. 
See, Jesus wasn't asking for something. He was asking him to something. He was inviting him into relationship, into intimacy, into fellowship. That's what he wanted for him. And this invitation to holiness is not about us laying things down. It's about us being invited into something. There is life available for us. There is vibrancy available to us. There's vitality available to us. If we'll simply lay down whatever it is we think is life. Jesus knows what it is in you. Chances are he's probably already pressed on it, just like he did with the rich young ruler. He's probably already said, hey, will you lay down that relationship that maybe isn't sinful, but is not godly either? Hey, will you lay down that behavior? Will you lay down that activity? Will you lay down, will you lay down your job? You know, and you walk away sad because that's where your life is. There's a, a quote from a pastor named John Piper. He's written a bunch of books. And he wrote a book called Reading the Bible Supernaturally. And I wanna read this passage to you from his book. It says this. This is how God designed scripture to work for human transformation and for the glory of God. The scriptures reveal God's glory. The glory, God willing, is seen by those who read the Bible. This seeing gives rise by God's grace to savoring God above all things treasuring him, hoping in him, feeling him as our greatest reward, tasting him as our all-satisfying good. And this savoring transforms our lives. See, it's our desire for God, our pursuit of God that ultimately transforms us and makes us more like Christ. That's what this is about. Now, are there going to be things we do? Sure, but it's birthed out of a desire to serve God and to know him and to be in a relationship with him. You know, earlier I mentioned a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 where he says, so you must live as God's obedient children. And I said, we have to be obedient. Obedient to what? I want to give you three things real quickly that we have to be obedient to in order to be holy. Number one, this is us doing our part, us working. Number one, be obedient to the word. Every part. We can't cherry pick the parts we like and leave out the parts we don't like. That's how cults start, by the way. <laughs> I'm only partially joking. Every word. We go, okay, God, uh, I'm gonna apply every part of this to my life. I'm gonna believe that every word is God-breathed and God-ordained by you. Every part of it. I'm not gonna leave out the parts that make me uncomfortable that I don't like. I'm gonna work through it. I'm not gonna change the word to fit my life. I'm gonna change my life to fit the word. Every part. The second thing is uh, be obedient to the voice of God every day. I want you to hear this too. I, I don't have a pipeline to God because I'm on stage, because I'm the, the pastor and the preacher. You can hear from God just as well as I can. And my expectation as your pastor is that you will work to hear from God every single day. And the best way to hear from God is to begin with his word. I'm gonna put the word of God in me so I can know what the word of God says. Because this is what happens. I had somebody one time came to me and they said, Pastor Mel, I've been praying about it and God's telling me to divorce my wife. I was like, no, he's not. I'm like, well, how do you know? And I was like, because I read the Bible, right? Like, is there biblical grounds for divorce? Well, no. Like, then God's not telling you to divorce your wife. 
because God would not contradict what he said in the word of God, right? He's not schizophrenic. So the word of God informs what I hear as the voice of God. And you can hear from God. He can speak in your life. He can give you fresh revelation. He can speak to you prophetically. He can speak a word of knowledge. This this is where the gifts of the Spirit come in. We hear the voice of God and we respond to what the voice of God is telling us. I want you to be obedient to the voice of God every day. And finally, I want you to be obedient to the heart of God every day. And this is where we say, God, um, I might not hear a voice. um, And when I read your word, I might not have clarity on something, but God, I know what your heart is because I'm chasing after you. I'm pursuing you. So God, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I want to know you. I want to be intimate with you. This is where Paul says, I want to know him. When he's talking about Jesus, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. What he's saying is, I want to know the rough stuff and the good stuff. That's deep love right there. That's deep affection. And and this is where we have to get where we say, I'm going to be obedient to pursue God even the stuff that's difficult, even when it's hard for me, even when it's challenging, because I just want to know the heart of God in every way. And I don't want to hold anything back. God, I want to look like you in every aspect of my life. I want my relationships to reflect you. I want my, my attitudes to reflect you. I want my values to reflect you. I want how I handle my possessions and my finances to reflect you. I want everything in my life to be reflective of your heart. The reality is, it's hard to do when we're not temporary residents, right? It's hard to do when we're pursuing legalism instead of holiness. Because it all comes back to intimacy with God. Right now, I want to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. I'm going to let them close out the rest of our time together. They're going to give you a chance to respond. But I love you guys more than you know. And I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. You know, as I said earlier, this thing called holiness, sanctification, it's, it's an ongoing process. And, and if, we're, if we're going to be honest with each other, Sometimes we take two steps forward and a step back. Sometimes we go, okay, God, here I am. Let's go. And we go, whoo, whoo. Okay, hold on. Give me just a second. And that's natural. But all begins with a relationship with Jesus. See, that sanctification begins with justification. It begins with us saying yes to God. It begins with us surrendering our lives to his lordship, to his kingship. It begins with us saying, God, whatever it is you want for my life, I want for my life. I'm done with my agenda and I want your agenda. That's pursuing the heart of God. And that's what I want for you. Surrender, just to know God, to know his goodness and to apply it to your normal everyday life not just here in church when we're worshiping and we feel the spirit, but in your class on Monday, in in your office on Monday, wherever it is you go, um, going to your kids' sporting events, you're taking the spirit of God with you, the heart of God. You're reflecting that, that you are becoming holy as God is holy. That's what he wants for you. That's what he's inviting you to. Begins with that, begins with relationship with Jesus. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you that you are holy. You are set apart. You are unlike anything we could ever know. And I pray that wouldn't intimidate us. It wouldn't scare us. But God, I pray that it would be attractive. It would draw us to you. So God, help us see how good you are. Help us see how holy you are. Help us see how desperately we need a savior. That no amount of morality could save us. No amount of goodness can save us. Just Jesus. So God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Let today be the day everything changes, that we surrender our lives to you fully and wholly. And we experience what it means to be a son and daughter of God. And I pray that that would kickstart the sanctification process where we begin walking with you and learning more about you and growing in our faith and growing in our affections for you. So God, minister in us right now. God, I pray for those that are here that are believers, that maybe they've grown stagnant. Maybe, maybe they've, they're realizing that they're putting their energy and their affection in something that's dead and producing death, not life. God, I pray that you would help us make a shift today. I pray your Holy Spirit would get a hold of us. Minister in us today. Now, with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you would say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I know I need to be. I want to be. If you want to be included in this final prayer to surrender your life to Christ, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer. I want to know Christ today. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to turn away from the path of death and I want to know life. Yeah, thank you on my left. I see you, ma'am. Praise God. Thank you. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me today. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you. I see you in the center section. I'd like every person in this place to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. The book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want us to pray this prayer out loud together, but I want you to, to pray it from your heart, from your core, from the center of who you are. So let's pray this prayer together, whether you raised your hand or not. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to the cross to pay the price for my sins. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use me for your glory. I turn away from my old life, the path of death I was on. And from now on, I'm pursuing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, can we give God a round of applause this morning? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know you're a new creation today. This is what we talked about a minute ago. We're justified. We are found not guilty because of the work of Christ. But now this is what I want you to do. I want you to engage us, help us engage you in the sanctification process, in the growth process. And so what I'd love for you to do, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, both here in the room and online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000, 94000. And when you do that, um, you can select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about your decision and we're gonna reach out to you. We're gonna connect with you and help you take the next step. We've got um, a group called Starting Point 
that's gonna help you grow in your faith and, and begin that sanctification process. Um, that's why we have growth track is to help you grow in your faith. Uh, we've got resources to give you. So we wanna help you on your journey. If you'd prefer, you can simply take the card out of the seat back in front of you and then take it to our info center. And they're gonna give you a Bible and they're gonna start that process with you as well. So please take advantage of that. Um, we want to help you not just make a decision for Jesus and be justified, but we want to help you be sanctified and grow in your faith. So please take advantage of that. Let us help you um, grow in your faith. Here's what's going to happen now. Um, Pastor Kendall and Josh, they're going to lead us in one final song. We're going to worship together. And while we're worshiping, I would encourage you, just ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what needs to shift in my life? What needs to change in my life? Are there things that I'm putting too much emphasis on that I need to lay down and pursue you? Um, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me? Ask, and I think he'll show you. And while we're singing, our prayer team and some of our staff are going to join me here at the front of this room, and they'll be available to pray with you no matter what your need may be. So if you're here today and you've got something going on in your life, you'd like somebody to pray with you, we would be honored to pray with you before you go. And even afterwards, we're dismissed, some of our team will be around. We would be honored to pray with you. So if you'd rather come up as we're finishing up, please feel free to do so. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I hope you know this. I tell you often, I hope you don't forget it. I love you more than you know. And I am so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.